1: Hello, hello. I'm Brandon Harvey, and welcome to this week's episode of Sounds Good. This is the podcast where every single week, we host hopeful conversations with optimists and world changers about the unique experiences that drive them to use their influence for good. This week, I had the incredible opportunity to get to have a conversation with Kelly Haddock. Kelly is incredibly inspiring. 10 years after a horrific car accident killed her husband and severely injured her son, Kelly went back and tracked down and thanked the team of medical professionals who saved her son's life. That included the people who flew the helicopter to the hospital, the folks who worked at the hospital uh, when she first arrived, doctors, nurses, like the whole deal. And she shared this beautiful, hopeful story through something called the Thank You Project. It's a short documentary that documents this whole experience. And since then, that video has gone absolutely viral on social media, and it's been featured all over in places like the Today Show. In fact, I think that a lot of people listening to this podcast right now have somehow stumbled across this video. It's everywhere. Millions and millions of people have seen her story, and it's impacted a lot of people. It's touched a lot of people. Kelly is also a singer-songwriter, and she's released a number of albums, but her most recent album, Wild Love, she wrote during the Thank You Project. I loved getting to have this conversation with Kelly about her story and what her life is like. We talked a lot about this idea of being on the other side of tragedy and how that's not ever fully possible, but how she does feel like she's on that side of the story. And getting to look back on things and, and have perspective, I, I think it's beautiful. And if you're walking through tragedy or, I mean, the truth is that all of us are going to walk through tragedy at some point, I think you're really going to connect with this. So with all that said, I say we just jump into the episode. Here's my conversation with Kelly. Here we go. I feel like we should just jump into this by, by me saying that you have this video that has gone viral of your story. It's all over the internet, all over TV. Um, and I've watched it maybe four or five times since I first found out about it. And I have cried every single time, which is unreal. Like that's that's not a normal thing for me, but it's a beautiful, amazing story. And oh my gosh, I'm just so like I, I'm excited to be able to get to talk to you.
0: Thank you, Brandon. I'm so excited to talk with you as well.
1: Maybe we should just jump into a little bit of what happened in the video because a lot of people are going to come into this not knowing necessarily the story, though a lot of people will also have come in seeing the video. Um, let's bring it back to when your son Eli was born.
0: Okay, great. So our son Eli was born with a head full of red hair in Washington, D.C. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And, um, he's, he's just a perfect, healthy, sweet little baby boy. And we were down visiting my husband's parents in Orlando. It was our first trip down to visit them. And I call it the longest vacation of my life because we never made it home.
1: Mm. We were
0: driving home on the Florida Turnpike, and the sun was beginning to set. And we were listening to Al Green's Let's Stay Together playing on the radio, and we were playing the air trumpets. And that's really the last thing I remember. The, the next thing I remember, it's almost like um, just clicking through those little um, picture toys where you just have these snapshots. The next thing I remember is a helicopter pilot was walking up to me and he said, you're going to get to ride in a helicopter. And I was like, great, I've always wanted to ride in a helicopter. Oh. And he, he kind of put his hand on my shoulder and said, you haven't always wanted to ride in one of these helicopters. At that point, I wasn't in touch with the reality of the situation. I didn't know what was going on. But I saw two people holding Eli, our baby, he was 14 weeks old, and he was completely limp. And I said, can I hold my baby, please? And the women were just insistent that I could not hold him. And I could not understand why they wouldn't let me hold him. So once they got the, the gurneys ready to put Eli on and me on, I realized that they were trying to keep Eli's head and neck stable in case he had any spinal injuries. They put Eli and I on the helicopter, life us to Orlando Regional Medical Center. And it never occurred to me that my husband wasn't there just because the helicopter was so small, and I knew he couldn't fit. And so I i was not scared. There was never a moment where I was fearful or worried. Um, I saw Eli wheeled one way down the hospital hall off, as we got off the helicopter. I was wheeled another way, and I was rolled in and out of every test you can imagine, and every time I would see a different doctor or a different nurse, I started asking, well, hey, what room is my husband in? Hey, how's my husband? And nobody really answered. Nobody said yes. Nobody said no. Nobody said anything, really. They just sort of, like, stayed focused on their work. And so after a few hours, I started getting a little more insistent, like, please tell me where my husband is. I'd, I'd like to talk to him. And at that point, I really didn't know... <laughs> What Eli's injuries were, what my injuries were, or really what my husband's injuries were, it took a few hours. And my mom and sister came to the hospital. They had driven down from Jacksonville, where they were living at the time. They walked into the emergency room. This was just had a curtain, nothing private, and it was the first kind of familiar face that I had seen in several hours. And I was still covered in blood. They, um, my mom and sister, immediately started wiping my face and picking the glass out of my clothes. And right then a hospital chaplain came into the room and she um, pulled the curtain. She showed no emotion. She just very matter-of-factly said, you guys were in a bad car accident and your husband was killed instantly in the impact. Mm. Nobody ever imagines they're going to hear those words. I never imagined I'd have to respond to those words. The hospital chaplain said nothing. She just left the room. My mom and my sister and I broke down crying in a heap of tears. About 20 minutes later, the doctor came in, and he said, you have no injuries. We're going to stitch up this cut on your lip, and you're free to go. As soon as Eli stabilized, we're going to transport him to the pediatric intensive care unit at the children's hospital, and you can walk over and meet him there.
1: And how was Eli doing?
0: At that point, I didn't know. Other than that, he wasn't stable enough to be moved at that point. Um, but I hadn't seen him. And I remember as I began walking from the adult hospital to the, ne- the children's hospital next door, feeling like that was the longest walk of my life, knowing that I was going to walk into Eli's hospital room and look at him and have to tell him that his dad was gone and... I just It just seemed impossible to, to make that walk, but somehow I did. And once we got there, um, we really didn't know the scope of his injuries. It took about three days to get the scope of his injuries. He was going in and out of tests. Um, basically what happened is he had um, a lot of bleeding, bleeding on his brain from his brain literally shaking in his skull from the impact. The woman who hit us was going over 100 miles an hour. And she was going the opposite direction, went airborne, and landed on top of our car. So it was um, a lot of blunt head trauma. AJ's death certificate and Eli's injuries actually are described almost exactly the same. But Eli was smaller, and that's what gave him a fighting chance. The fact that I didn't have a bump on my head is an unexplainable miracle. Wow. Um, So... So, um, for about those first three days, he um, was—they were having a hard time stabilizing him. He was having these really long seizures and flatlining, and stop—he would stop breathing during the seizures. So the nurse that I think in the video—I know I'm skipping (laughs) Um, ahead—the nurse that I think in the video said she's never been thanked. She literally was breathing for Eli, squeezing that bag. Um, I remember her coming in the room and squeezing that bag and breathing for Eli when he couldn't breathe for himself. And um, just the tangibleness of these heroes and how doctors step in and do their jobs with excellence and save people's lives. That changes the course of history, literally. If Eli ceased to exist, my life and the lives of our community would be so different. So as we watch Eli recover, the doctor said that if he lived, he probably wouldn't talk or walk or show emotion. His brain injuries had injured so much of his brain. But Eli just began to make a remarkable recovery. And about 10 years after the accident, as I was watching him run and play in our front yard, my I remarried about five years later. So my, my new husband, Ted, and I were watching Eli run and play in the front yard. He was 10, so this was 10 years later. And... We just thought, oh my goodness, Like he's just so happy. He was blowing bubbles and just being Mm. this sweet little boy. And I thought, I can't believe that the doctors thought he would never be able to do this. And it occurred to me that none of them know that he's doing this. All of those doctors that fought so hard to save him and give him a chance at life, they don't know the rest of the story. And so as we were sitting there in our front porch watching Eli play, it just sort of became this obvious thing of like, I want to go back and and tell them the rest of the story. Tell them how great Eli's doing and thank them. So it was just really this kind of organic idea of like, of course this is what we need to do 10 years later. And um, so I, I got Eli's medical records and I began trying to find who the different doctors were. Some of them we still see. And so kind of started there and started asking around and meanwhile the hospital Arnold Palmer Hospital found out what we were doing and they said hey this is so cool we'd love to help you find all of Eli's doctors do you mind if we follow you with a film crew and I was sort of like all right, great. That sounds good. I'd love the help. So we never, ever made this. Well, I mean, we didn't even set out to do it for it to be a video, first of all. And then when it was a video, I just thought like maybe a hundred people would care about it. Like, you know, like my grandparents and <laughs> yeah. like the doctor's families. Um, So we never, ever did it or imagined that it would be something that would just literally spread across the world. and And I really don't even think it's my story that made it go viral. I think it's gratitude that actually went viral and people are so hungry for gratitude and hungry for beauty and hope. And that's so much, you know, what you're doing, Brandon, with this podcast. And I love that, but I do, I I feel like I I can't even take credit for it because I just think it's, it's gratitude that's gone viral.
1: I think in many ways, I think that there's a a great amount of bravery and uh, uh, intentionality that went into you deciding to go back and thank all of those doctors because you you lived through a traumatic experience and uh, I I can't even imagine the process of, of losing a spouse and the trauma of, you know, like Eli is okay and thriving, but in the moment... That's not what it felt like. You, you didn't know what was going to happen. You, you had to walk through that entire process. And I would imagine that by revisiting the doctors and nurses and the folks at the hospital, you had to relive that. You had to go mm-hmm. through that again. I can't imagine that that was easy.
0: Yeah, you, made, you make such a great point, Brandon. Um, a question I get asked a lot is, why did you wait 10 years? And, um, you know, when you are in tragedy, you are simply trying to survive. I had no capacity for anything not essential and I had no capacity for gratitude. It wasn't like I woke up in the morning and thought, I am not thankful. I just didn't, it just wasn't anywhere in my like thoughts. Um, so it took all that I had just to get through, not even the day, but just to get through the hour, just to get through the minute. I was a single mom, a widow with a child who was very ill. It took about four years of being in and out of the hospital and intense therapy before I would say Eli was in, you know, a stable place. Um, and I was, I was a widow for that entire time. Um, Eli was five when I remarried Ted. And so, you know, you make such a good point about the bravery of going back. I had no idea, (laughs) you know, maybe it was bravery and maybe it was naivety, but I had no idea in going back what a deep work it was going to be in and on my heart of processing grief. And... I've thought about it a lot because it was actually really emotional and really hard. and I felt like ten years later there were still hard days, but i was I was in a really stable, healthy place, so I didn't expect it to bring up so much fresh grief. But one thing i've I've talked about and and i I want to be careful to say that I don't define being on the other side of tragedy as being remarried. I think that that was a false hope that I held on to during the years I was a widow that oh, if only I can get married again, all of my problems will be fixed. And um I really had to hit like rock bottom and then deeper <laughs> um, before I realized that having a husband is not the answer. Just having what I lost replaced is not the answer to grief. And so um, realizing that actually... What would you say
1: is the answer to grief?
0: What I think is the most important thing with grief is to grieve in a healthy way. And that was something I set out to do every day. And to me, grieving in a healthy way looks like being present in every emotion and having no emotion off limits. So if you are sad, cry. Don't be afraid to cry. Don't be afraid to messy cry. Don't be afraid to go there. But if you're happy, if somebody says a funny joke, don't be afraid to laugh. Don't feel guilty for having joy. I think any emotion, anger, yell, any emotion is okay. And I think no emotion should be off limits. And I think as you go through grief, being fully present, not hiding from anything, not avoiding any of those emotions, but just kind of living them as they come, then I think you will eventually find yourself in a healthy place and Oh my goodness, it's hard. I don't want to just say, here's the prescription. And I'm, I, and, and like it, you do steps with A, B, and C. Not at all. Um, everybody's story is different and everybody's journey and, and the length of time is different. And so I think that that's an important element as well to not compare yourself and not be pressured by others who are saying, well, you should look like this or act like this or do it like this. Your story is your story. And as long as you are being honest and present in your story and in your moments, I think that that's, that's all that you can do. And, and just continuing to dig in to that fight for getting better, to that fight for actually grieving, that is a very real thing. It's a very real and valid emotion. It's not something to rush through. It's not something to work around. But staying present in the grief is essential to getting to a healthy place. So I think I was about to talk about being on the other side of tragedy. Yeah. And I had thought, well, being married will equal me being on the other side of this tragedy. And I'm so glad that I didn't get married Quickly. And I know a lot of people do get married quickly after the loss of a spouse. And that's awesome. I'm not saying that that's wrong. Um, but for me and for my journey and my heart, I think that that would have been a band-aid on, you know, this huge gaping wound. And, um, I had to do a lot of shaking my fists, a lot of yelling at God, a lot of asking hard questions, a lot of being angry. You know, I talked about my response to the hospital chaplain as really this response of kind of shocking and surprising faith. I would not define myself as somebody with some amazing faith. Um, really, I think grief has brought out more questions, but in honesty and in a relationship that has a back and forth um, where there's a conversation. And um, so being on the other side of tragedy. I bet you're all like, what is she going to say? What is the other side of tragedy? She said what it's not. So, (laughs) um, being on the other side of tragedy is just being in a place where, where you feel that sense of wholeness, where you feel that deep and true joy. It's not happiness. You might be happy, but it's deeper than happiness And it's fuller than happiness. And it's almost this joy that's anchored in freedom that's not necessarily related to what your day looks like. But it's just this joy of like, You know, we don't choose tragedy. We don't choose our lives, but we can choose how we respond to life. We can choose how we're going to respond to the events that happen to us in a day. We all have that choice. And so I am going to wake up in the morning, and I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to keep living. I'm not going to let grief or tragedy or any of these hard things around me Cause me to stop living. And I feel like there was almost this like feistiness in me of like, I am not going to get stuck and get bitter because if I do, then death wins. And so it was almost out of a fight of, like, not being robbed of more than what I'd already been robbed of. of like.
1: It was kind of a little bit of a rebellion in some ways.
0: Yeah, it really was. Um, I have a line in one of my new songs that says, you're the quietest rebel I know. And that's really what, what that's coming from, is this place of, like, no, death has already taken so much from me, and I'm not going to let death take me too. And I can choose to live. And I can choose to feel, and I can choose to stay present in these emotions, however painful, and yes, it was very, very painful, but just choosing to sit in that because I really believe that that is the path towards healing, that that is how we get to the other side of tragedy. And yes, there's still hard days. I'm 12 years out, and there are still days that I cry. When AJ's sister had her first baby, I was in the Nashville airport um, flying home from doing music, and I got the call that 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 the baby was born, and I just like I was a puddle of tears in the middle of the Nashville airport because I thought, wait, I shouldn't be the first call. Like AJ's sister should have called AJ, you know. And so there's just there's the grief is still present, and and even 12 years later, I feel like all right, I need to not be afraid to cry in the Nashville airport, and and I need to process and feel those emotions as they're happening. So. Going back 10 years later, kind of from this place that I would say is on the other side of tragedy, to thank these doctors, being able to grieve in a sense from a place of wholeness is a very different thing than grieving from a place of rawness, from a place where the, the, the pain is so fresh. And so it was almost like I had this whole nother depth in my heart. Where I could kind of cultivate <laughs> and process and feel. And it was, I felt like I was almost in this like reconstructive surgery or something. Like I'd sort of healed, but there was like all these scars and it was like kind of all blotchy, you know? And then going back and doing the thank you project. And, you know, the thank you project video shows a hug and every single thank you was at least an hour long. And we cried and it was so rich. We, and the thank you project shows about half of the thank yous. We thanked over 25 people. We spent six months doing it. Um, so for six months, I feel like I was just deep, deep, deep into my story and processing, but processing from a place of gratitude and beauty and wholeness. Um, but I didn't expect it to be so emotional and yeah. healing. Hmm.
1: Tell me about the first person that you thanked, like who was the very first person that you got in touch with and and what was that process like?
0: Oh my goodness. I wish I could remember who the first person was. <laughs> I want to say it's the doctor where I'm wearing the green dress and I'm against the green wall and I look at the doctor in the video and I say, you're the first doctor that believed in me and believed in Eli and believed that there was a solution for him to get better. And that doctor was, he was literally life changing. I remember this was probably the lowest of the low. Um, Eli was about three cause we were with him for about a year from about three to four. And Eli, every time he got a fever, or anything, he would get paralyzed from the neck down. And nobody knew why this was happening. So he was in and out of the hospital. Just if he had a cold, he was in the hospital. He couldn't walk, he couldn't move his arms. And and so we just thought, What is going on? Why is this happening? And um and and most doctors kind of shrugged their shoulders at that point. And and I remember this doctor, he came and we we had two chairs, our knees were practically touching, and he He's a busy doctor in the hospital, and he spent an hour just basically, like, giving me this motivational speech of, like, you can't give up. And um, really, every single medical professional we interacted with at Arnold Palmer Hospital brought that level of excellency to their job. They just... I feel like they weren't just caring for Eli. They were caring for, for me. <laughs> um, I talk about being alone as a widow, but in so many ways, I wasn't alone at all. I just had amazing community around us, encouraging us through that. So I would say it was Dr. Pinellas.
1: That's amazing. And another story in the video, and, and you alluded to this earlier, is is a doctor or a nurse or, or some medical professional who where you were thanking her, and she said that she'd never been thanked before. That was unreal to me. I can't believe it. She, how long has she been a nurse again? Or how long is, what is she, is she a nurse?
0: She's a respiratory nurse in the in the pediatric nurse. intensive care unit. Okay. So she literally breathes for children when they can't breathe. I mean, that's wow. such a moving job. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and going to work and knowing, I'm going to breathe for these kids when they can't breathe. I mean, it's just beautiful. And she had been doing her job for, I think she was 32 years. She had been a respiratory nurse when we thanked her that day. What the video doesn't show, because we wanted to keep it brief, is that I think about half of the medical professionals we thanked actually said they had never been thanked. And you got to realize we went back 10 years later. So every single doctor had been doing their job for at least 10 years, but most of them had been in their role for 20 years or more and they had never been thanked. And unanimously, they looked at me and they said, having you come and talk to me today has made me good to go for another 20 years. That's how much it meant for us to come back and just pause and honor them and say, thank you. And a lot of people have asked, well, why do you think they haven't been thanked? And I really think it's what I was talking about earlier. When people are in tragedy, they're just surviving. And these doctors are trauma doctors. They are with people at their worst moments of their life. And if these doctors succeed in their jobs, the patients moved up the hospital floor to the less intensive floors. And by then, the patients are probably, you know, the families and everybody's feeling happier and probably thinking about saying thank you. But that trauma doctors just right on to caring for their next critically ill patient. So they're always day in and day out with people in the worst moments of their life. And to see how they weren't just like calculated and, and like thinking about medicine, which they did an excellent job of that, but they brought their hearts every single day. With them to work, and I think it'd be a really, really hard to not get calloused in that role. But not a single one of them was. I mean, they—they—they are
1: heroes. Man, that's—it's just so beautiful, and it blows me away. And it's kind of making me think. It is in some ways convicting me. About two years ago, I. I, I walked from my house in Portland to the emergency room down the street from my house because my face was swelling up and my my tongue was swelling up and, and I was nervous that my throat was going to swell up. I didn't know what was happening and I just like walked over. And two and a half weeks later, I was uh, released from the hospital and I, during that time, was in the ICU because I'd had a terrible, life-threatening allergic reaction to some antibiotics for, um, like, the flu or something. Whoa. And and it in some ways, I kind of forget that that happened to me because I got out fine and I missed, you know, a, a month of my life between everything and, and the recovery. But... I relied so much on my nurses and doctors. Like I remember just being like so alone in the hospital and so overwhelmed and and the nurses just taking such good care of me and I left just thinking these people are angels. Like these people <laughs> deserve the world because yes. They bring, you know, they 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 know all the sciencey stuff. They know what's happening to my body. They know what the medication's going to do. They they knew how to take care of me, but they they were also able to take care of me on an emotional level. And what yes. I experienced is is a small fraction of what you or or other people who have experienced trauma have experienced, but it blows me away how incredible people in the medical field are. And it, I don't understand. Like I, I, I would love to understand, but I just do not understand. Like you said, what gives them the energy and the motivation to keep on going? Because it seems like it would just empty them. Like they would just hit zero really fast from giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and, giving and not getting thanked yes. ever or, or, you know, You know, rarely, and oh my goodness, it just it blows me away.
0: Yes, it's amazing. And one one thing, you know, in the video, you see we did this big party for everybody. So as we thanked them,
1: oh my gosh! First of all, can I say that the moment I cried in two moments during the (laughs) video, but the first moment that I cried, which is so bizarre and specific, but you handed a a card inviting. Uh, a doctor or a nurse to this party, and uh-huh. it had their name handwritten on the on the envelope. Uh, yes, and, <laughs> and something about the fact that you wrote their name down and like you put it in an envelope. Like I don't know, it was that. That's what triggered me. It was beautiful. Oh,
0: that's so sweet.
1: <laughs> it's so I have, thoughtful.
0: I love that. Uh, so we invited them to this this concert, the, well, it, it, the band and I did a full concert for them. And it was a lot like a wedding reception. We had filet mignon and this great, you know, plated serve dinner. There was about 150 people there. We did it in one of the coolest venues in Orlando. And um, it was just great. It really just was this party, this celebration. But what was neat is, as you saw, and in the, in the invitation, we wrote their name. But across the board, I mean, the doctors and medical professionals got emotional as they thought about their own families. And you were talking about the costs that they give to show up every day. And so many of them said, you know, it's my family that sacrifices so much. For me to work the hours that I work and carry the burdens that I carry? Can my families come? Can my children come? And I mean, of course, we were like, yes, bring anyone, everyone. So, um, again, there were so many surprises along the way. And I didn't expect to see, you know, even that side of what the families of people who work in the medical field have to sacrifice and give to support, um, you know, somebody that they love that's doing this profession. So really, it was awesome to honor the medical professionals, but it was awesome to have time to thank and honor their families as well.
1: That's, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. They, yeah, they have to have that kind of support system to yes. be able to give the way that they do. And that, that, it, that is totally a testament to how amazing their families are. So you are about to go on tour with your new album. And as a part of your tour, you're playing shows in hospitals. I love that. What's your game plan? Obviously, you're not going to have the exact same connection with these hospitals, but the, the heart behind the people is going to be the same. What are you hoping to accomplish through getting to play music at hospitals around the country?
0: My biggest goal is to honor where honors do, to just come in and bring beauty, not in a way that says I've got answers, but just kind of to come alongside and say, I see you, I hear you, and you matter. And I want to honor the staff and the doctors, but I also want to honor the families and the patients to say, all of you, every single person in this place is brave and is fighting and has a story and matters. And so, Again, not, not to try to bring some solution, but just to try to <laughs> cheer on these heroes and, and honor them and say, I want to stop what I'm doing and take a moment to just make you smile, to help you feel, to, to care for your heart. I've done a lot of music at our local hospital. There's a piano in the lobby that opens up to about four floors of the hospital. And so when I have some spare time, I'll just send him an email and say, hey, I'm coming. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and they'll just send like, you know, an email hospital all so that the the staff knows and the patients know and anybody that can kind of be wheeled out into the hallway, they, they pull them out. And, um, it's so beautiful because the sound goes up through this rotunda to all four floors and, um. And I'll just play and sing my heart out and people will come and they'll just sit on the piano bench beside me and start telling me their stories or I'll look across the room and people are just crying because music has a way to help people feel and process. And that's so important, especially when you're in a place that um, where the intensity of life is so top of mind. So it really matters to me. I've experienced it in such a rich way locally that as we wanted to go on tour with the new record anyway, it sort of was like, we're trying to tour around the country and go to all these cities. It's not that hard to just take an hour out of the schedule and go to a hospital. So um, every every place that we are getting booked for a venue around the country I'm reaching out to the people booking me saying, okay, who do we know that works in a hospital? How can we you know, get a connection so that I can go into the hospitals? I got a letter of recommendation from our local hospital, from the president, so I can bring that sort of as a,
1: <laughs> a letter
0: of authenticity. Like, she actually is able to do this <laughs> the real deal. Uh, and then I'm also an, an ambassador for the children's miracle network. I've done a lot of work with them and just love, um, Arnold Palmer hospitals, the children's miracle network hospital. So I really would love to partner kind of on the national scale with children's miracle network going particularly if there is a miracle network hospital in a city to, to really seek them out and, and go into those hospitals as well Man. to share music.
1: I was thinking about it, and your video has been seen by millions and millions of people online and on TV, and I've known a number of people who have gone viral. Uh, I've had small things in my life uh, grow on the internet, not to this scale by any means, but how does it feel knowing that so many people have heard a big part of your story? Um yeah, what, is it, what does it feel like to go viral?
0: <laughs> I love that question because I always feel like I have, like, the most lame answer. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, I mean, it's estimated that about 100 million people have seen our story. Wow. Um, and for the most part, life looks and feels exactly the same as it always has. Um, I remember when we were on Perez Hilton, it was like, Kelly Haddock and then Kim Kardashian's bottom. Like I have a screen cap of like <laughs> my head and her bottom together. Am I allowed to sit, talk about her bottom on her podcast?
1: Oh, um- absolutely.
0: Yes. <laughs> so. I have this, I'm like literally, I'm a mom, we have three kids now, so I'm literally like making rice in my kitchen, and I got like the phone pinched between my shoulder and my ear, and I'm like, hi, you know, what's up? This friend calls, she's like, do you know you're on Perez Hilton right now? (laughs) And I'm like, what? I'm just making rice. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, in so many ways, like, I kind of feel like that's part of what makes it so beautiful, is we didn't set out to do it for all the attention. And in a lot of ways, you know. obviously I'm here talking to you on your podcast, so I've gotten to do some incredible interviews and um, share music in amazing places. And that's really my hope is that gratitude continues to go viral. People are encouraged to stop and thank the people around them that have helped get them where they are, because none of us make it through life on our own. And if our video can just help remind people of that, uh, remind people of the choice that they have to choose how to respond to their life and and what they're given, um, then that's amazing. And my hope is that I can share music in just more venues to more people around the world um, and around our country. So I, I really hope that people um, connect with the thank you project and take that and help make their own lives better. Um, to me, that's the value in the virality. It's not so I can, yeah. you know, have more attention or anything. I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'm really Good. grateful for my life.
1: <laughs> I mean, and you just talked about how it's it's cool because you're able to have more reach and you're able to touch more people with your music and with your art. Tell me a little bit more about how this pain has like how this pain in your life has influenced your art. Were you making music before the accident?
0: I was. Yes. Um, That's how AJ and I met my first husband. We met, um, he was playing bass and he needed a girl to sing and play piano. And I was like, I can sing and play the piano. So, um, so we kind of met making music and this was a dream. I I mean, I'm classically trained went to music school. um, So this has been a dream of mine, my whole life. And I don't take for granted the fact that I'm so aware that I'm living my dream and I'm grateful every day for that. And I have worked really hard and, and continuing to work really hard. Um, and I think that there's just such value and satisfaction in just bringing your best every single day to your art. So I want to be careful to, in a sense, not like use or manipulate my story um, into my art, yeah. And in a lot of ways, um, so Sarah Groves, she's a great friend and mentor of mine. And I did a concert in Minneapolis where she lives about a year ago. She was there on the front row. And afterwards, she wrote such a beautiful review of the concert. She said, it was like being hit by a tsunami of hope. And I really feel like that's the ethos of my music. It, it does have an element of giving people time and space to heal and process, but mostly it's just fused and bursting with hope. And really that's what the Thank You Project does. So I I feel like that ethos that the Thank You Project has of kind of being anchored in the real, but filled with beauty and hope, um, that's what this record, my new record Wild Love has, that same element. I wrote all the songs while we were thanking the doctors so I, they come out of that story, but it's not like the song's like, I was thinking a doctor, you know, it's <laughs> like... <laughs> um.
1: Maybe that
0: would know, go on the B I, side. <laughs> right. I, I write about everyday life, and, you know, I've got songs about my marriage. I've got songs about being a mom, and um I've got some, in a sense, sort of like my 70s kind of protest songs. I've got—I um I spent some time in Iraq um, a year and a half ago, and so I've got songs about that trip. So there's a lot of— um there's a lot of variety in a sense. I feel like you kind of it it's I feel like it's a good snapshot of everyday life because you kind of got the whole gamut of emotions and it's anchored in everyday life. And then I've got Sarah Borellis's drummer bringing incredible beats. So the whole record just moves. It's got great energy. And then we've got live strings on all twelve songs. So you've got this emotive quality. So you really, I feel like it's just this great, like, synergistic merging of of life.
1: <laughs> well, and you just mentioned, you said that it covers a gamut of emotion. And earlier in the episode, you talked about how you've worked really hard to allow yourself to feel emotion, feel it deeply, feel all of the emotions. I would imagine that there's a correlation there. Your ability to translate all of these emotions to music is... A reflection of your ability to experience them in your own life and i think that that's really beautiful and i've i've listened to a a lot of your album and i loved it i thought that it really i i think you're not (laughs) you're not tooting your own horn when you say that there's emotion uh that there's a lot of emotion there and it covers the spectrum and some i love it i'm excited (laughs)
0: thank you brandon
1: to kind of wrap up the show Why do you think that sharing the story of our lives with each other is important? Why do you think that it's so important uh, to share your and Eli's story with your doctors? And why do you think that people connected on such a deep level from around the internet and around the world with your story in the video? And on top of that, why do you think it's so important to share your story through music?
0: So is it lame to be like, I got a song about that? <laughs> no,
1: <please. laughs> But I oh actually
0: think kind of our, our feature single, um, one of the songs we just made a music video for, I think completely answers that question. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, none of us make it through life on our own. And what I've found is as we're vulnerable and we let others in, it's just actually so much better and richer and more fun. You know, even you were talking about being lonely when you were in the hospital um, several years ago. And um, it costs us something to share our stories or or to receive other people's stories when they come to us in that kind of vulnerability. But what we gain is just invaluable. What we gain is community. And that's really what I think we are made for. And so this song, um, Spotlight's, That's what it's about. It's about sharing stories and how our stories are spotlights for other people, showing them the way forward. So we can go read history and see stories of people who have lived through similar things as we have and be encouraged by how they found a way through. Or we can sit and talk to somebody in a coffee shop today and hear their story about how they made it through. And we can find these common threads all woven throughout, whether you're going back in time or whether you're talking to somebody in real time right now and see that common thread that's pointing the way forward. And so that's what the song Spotlights is about. It's about how our stories are spotlights. The chorus says, Spotlights dissipating doubt, Spotlights piercing through the clouds, Spotlights do you see where you are going? And that's that's what it's about, how we can find a way forward. And I think sharing story is so illuminating to all of us as we find our way forward.
1: Oh, my goodness. What? an incredible story and what a testament to the power of saying thank you. I still cannot believe it blows me away that some of these doctors and nurses had not been thanked in that entire 10 years. That was the first time they'd ever been thanked and oh my gosh and some of them had been they'd been doctors and nurses for years and years and years before that and they still hadn't been thanked. Wow it just it reminds me of the importance of saying thank you and the value of saying thank you and And it's making me think not even just the medical professionals in my life, but like who else is there who they're not being thanked for the incredible work that they're doing? Man. Okay. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Oh, Kelly was amazing. If you want to follow along with Kelly, get to know her story more, you can find her online at kellyhaddock.com. You can also find her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, All of her music is on her website, but more than that, well, I don't want to say more than that, but in addition to that, her story, her video, her documentary is on her website. And I really encourage you to check it out. It's beautiful. It's so, I I mean, I mentioned this in the episode, but I cried. Like, Check out uh, the look on these doctors and nurses' faces when they hear her say, thank you. Oh my gosh. It's beautiful. It's important. Check it out. kellyhaddock.com. In other news, let's talk about the Kickstarter. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe how things finished. Goodness gracious, I'm pulling up the Kickstarter page right now. It's unreal. More than 1,400 of you pledged more than $50,000 to bring the good newspaper to life on Kickstarter. It's absolutely unreal at the end of the day we were featured by now this news elite daily the huffington post design taxi rns like all over the internet the good newspaper was featured and i think that it just shows that people are craving what we've created in this community they crave this idea of depth and nuance and beauty and and hope and goodness oh my gosh i'm thrilled i'm excited we cannot wait to bring the good newspaper to life if you missed the boat on the Kickstarter, but you want to pick up a newspaper, you can pick one up at our store at goodnewspaper.co. We also have a few pins left and a few tote bags left. So check it out. They are amazing. Actually, while you're at it, just go check out our new website in general, goodgoodgood.co. We recently totally redesigned it. It's got all of the podcast show notes on there. It's got everything. You're going to like it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm so thrilled about it. I'm going to go look at it right now. Yeah, okay, cool. This looks good. I like this. Go check it out. Good, good, good. Co. I'm just so thrilled that we have a beautiful place that kind of culminates the good that we're creating in the world with the good newspaper, the good newsletter. Sounds good. Oh my gosh. I guess you can hear why we got the name Good, Good, Good. All the good. Um, <laughs> on that note, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We're actually taking next week off, but we'll absolutely be back the next week. Go out and do some good. And we'll be back soon with another hopeful conversation with an inspiring person. Sound good?